since we were talking about the elements earlier, there's a question here about the air and water element. So the person says, I thought air element is the one that moves. And water, well, wet, soggy, moist. But it seems that you're saying that water is the one that moves and air is space. Does not air move like huge gusts of wind? Is that both elements combined? No, air, air, is, air is movement. Uh, water is pliability. Um, so, so water is flexibility, for example. So you see water is perhaps, we see in that way air is much more directive. It definitely does. But water, earth moves if you push it. <laughs> water is, is the sense that things are flexible and pliable and buoyant. So water is more the suppleness and the fluidity. So when you walk like water, yeah, you know, the air is the sense of the energy is directing, but the fluidity and the flow is the water element. And the water element is also called the cohesive element. That is, uh, very simply, you know, this, this finger may seem pretty dry to you, yeah. But the reason why it has a shape is because there's enough water in it to bind it into a cohesive shape. Now, when this body dies, if they put that in an incinerator and burn it, so all the water is gone, you've just got dust. Right? There's no shape. So water binds things into a certain cohesive shape. Yeah? If you've got, like if you've got flour and you put water in it, then you can, it sticks together, doesn't it? It becomes dough, right? So you look at the dough, it's not water, but it, it water element has entered it to make it something other than just dust. Right? So water is cohesive. It means things are now supple and pliable. Things have shape because of water. Without, if there's no water in it, there'd be no shape. It'd just be dust, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's how I see it, and I think you'll find that's, that's how it's explained. And I may have slipped of the tongue, I may have made a mistake, or you might have misheard, but anyway, that, hopefully that corrects that. So the air element in the body, okay, so like water, air doesn't have boundaries to it. So when we're breathing in the body, the energy of the breathing... The air quality of it means it can suffuse everything. It just spreads. Now, the fire element of it means it's got the vitality to do so. <laughs> so, you see, the elements don't exist. In, they're all flowing, they're mixing together. You see, so, for example, if we have flour, that's earth, and you put water in it, you've got dough. Now, is the dough, is that water or earth? <laughs> it's both mixed together, isn't it? And if you, you can warm it up, it'd be hot if you have fire in it. So the breath, in a way, has got all the elements. Sometimes it's the, you know, the primary, most significant element. It's a sense it's something that moves. Yeah. But it's also, if you contemplate it, it's a certain warming up effect. So it's a certain vitality that... And there's also uh, a way in which it is it's, it, it's sort of cohesive and fluid. Yeah. So there's a different...
plays of these elemental qualities. We get to fine material, energy forms, it's much more subtle. They blend together. So, how can we observe our citta? Do we observe the thoughts of feelings that arise when an event happened? I read that there are 52 states of citta. Can you explain further? <clears throat> oh, how long have you got? Um, maybe there are maybe more than 52. <laughs> but essentially, when the uh, uh, you don't really observe citta, but you can notice what what affects the citta. So, the satipatthana this is a citta affected by passion or uh, aversion. Yeah. Yeah. So you can notice the effect. What is it that's affected? Right. So in this, this, this Satipatthana description, it's quite interesting because uh, the Buddha doesn't actually say what citta is. <laughs> but um, he said it's like something, he says, you can't, I can't find a metaphor to describe it. But it's, now it's affected. You can notice it's affected by this. You notice the effects. That's the first level. Then you notice whether it's, and he it says it's either scattered, or um, it can be scattered, or it can be contracted. Scattered. So you know what scattered chitta means. Hopefully, or maybe you don't. But it's just boom, boom, boom. You know this, that, this, that. The emotions are all tangled up. And scattering out, we say, restless mind or scattered thoughts or conflicting emotions. So the, the different states are colliding with each other. States of citta. We might feel angry, then we feel guilty about feeling angry, then we feel worried about feeling guilty, and we try to think of something else to do, and we try to bring ourselves together. So these different qualities kind of clash around. It's the citta is scattered. Or contracted, it means the jitter becomes locked and frozen, like rigid. So he says, then you can notice that. And you notice when it's not like that, you know, when it's kind of smooth or it's composed or uh, softened. So you notice attributes. Yeah. And he says, then you can notice where the jitter is made great, it's a great expansive jitter, or it's, or it's not made great, <laughs> when it's lofty. You know, uplifted, high-minded, we might say. Yeah, as we say, noble intention, high-minded. Or we can know when it's not high-minded, when it's released, and when it's not released. So you know, but then you say, what is it? And uh, the, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, really, it, it's not said what it is. It's because. It's it's so characteristic is about being affected. So we can we can notice what's affecting it and how it changes its shape. You could say, you know, when we talk about someone being narrow-minded. What do you mean narrow-minded? <laughs> it means they can only they can't go very far. They can only operate within quite limited boundaries. Say. Broad-minded, oh yeah, they can accept a lot of different things. So the jitter is then broad. 
High-minded means you've got lofty thoughts, noble intentions, low-minded means it's kind of uh, greedy or not far-sighted. So this is just the language that's used. And essentially with all of that, all these uh, attributes, characteristics, behaviors are to be uh, felt, sensed, uh, discerned, because uh, they're certainly very directly experienceable. Uh, how uh, externally they, they, they present, they kind of manifest in terms of our emotional behavior externally. Uh, internally, they manifest as our, you could say, our state of mind. You know, my, my state of mind is contracted, tight, narrow, or uplifted, lofty. Mm. Yeah. So this is, this is the way it's expressed. Yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, the Buddha was mostly interested in how rather than what. Not what things are, but <laughs> how, things, how things behave, <laughs> how things move and change. And what kind of movements and conditions and supportive conditions uh, conduce to uh, release, and what conditions support, you know, non-release. So it's not what things are; it's how things happen. Because you know, in a way, what does it matter what things are? I mean, it's <laughs> it's what they do that counts. <laughs> In this in this practice, it's very direct. We're not trying to create, you know, a metaphysical system so much as an empirical toolkit for how do you get free from suffering. And so, the fifty-two states. Uh, I don't not going to go into that. I don't, but um, you know, this is more like when the. Uh, Specialists, scholars could attribute you know, this is a chitta affected by a degree of aversion, or you know, it's all kinds of subtle micro effects. So, a person saying they they used to meditate while what I'm used to meditate while watching the breath as the object. However, in too much instructions during sitting meditation, I become distracted and couldn't focus. What is your advice? Well, I guess you, well, depends, really. Um, listen, if there are instructions, it's uh, worth listening to. Uh, maybe there's something that, oh, that's interesting, you know. Because the instructions aren't necessarily uh, there could be things you pick up a few tips and hints that then you can, can take home with you or continue for the next year or so forth. So it's a kind of condensed teaching teaching situation. Uh, there's a lot given because there's a lot of people with different minds and uh, trying to cover all the possibilities. So it's quite a lot of guidance given. And some of it probably isn't what, what you need. 
So you, you kind of hold, you live and listen with a kind of quiet attention. You hear the voice saying things, and then, you know, getting irritable, just okay. Practice with relaxing the irritation, just let the sounds pass through. And then you kind of listen like a cat. Yeah. So when a, you, when a cat, you see they lie down, they've got one ear open, you see. So that one ear is just twi- moving around, detecting. Is it any worth opening the other ear? Maybe it's not. <laughs> so you listen like that, like a cat. Oh, that's interesting. And otherwise, you know. <laughs> so you learn how to moderate your 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 attention to just kind of, uh-huh, 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 and then, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and then you're starting to get flustered and agitated. Then just withdraw. Uh, so, you know, then you, you know, because I, 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 I go to lots of meetings and, and discussions, so if that not, some of it is just is not something I particularly need or uh, useful for, you know, but it's just an okay. Then maybe I think, well, somebody else might be getting something good out of this. So a little bit of mudita or a person's uh, kindly intention. Good. So you, you settle on a skillful sign within that skillful sign so kindly intention sound passing through the breath breathing behind that so then you, you widen your focus it's probably better to not observe the breath because that definitely sets up conflict if you feel the breath, feel the breathing, and you feel that sensitivities, and you can feel different auditory impressions sort of touching it, okay, and it's just like, but you maintain the listening, feeling, sensing the breathing. It's much less easy, much less possible to get distracted. Visual is generally uh, the most fragile because you can't actually watch your breath. And it demands a certain tightness of focus. Mm. You see what I mean? Now, if you're sitting here feeling, feeling you could probably feel the warmth of your body, but it's not dominant. You might feel the pressure of your legs, but that's not dominant. But you can feel them. You feel you're breathing in and out, that's not dominant. You might mood in your heart. So you get, there's the feeling flows. And then, okay, so now I'm going to select to tune into this particular channel of feeling. The other feelings can kind of waver through, but uh, it's not so tightly bounded. But it also means... You, you don't get so knocked by conflicting feelings. You, you encompass them all. Somebody. So the person's been having pain for three years, started in the left lower back, then the butt and down the left leg. 
And recently, the sacrum also in the it's a sciatic thing, the left leg. Recently, in the right back. And the pain has helped me learn impermanence, <laughs> uncontrollability in my sitting practice as I observe the pain. I feel the pain is teaching detachment from this body and mind. How? I don't understand. It's related to non-self or different. Yeah, certainly pain um, generally reminds you of, of uncontrollable. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a big lesson and a difficult lesson uh, tough lesson to learn and when you think of it in abstract of course where in the in the area of feeling there's bound to be somewhere or another unpleasant feeling that's how it is um, so at least we kind of in a way in terms of attitude we, rec- we recognize in our attitude well sooner or later we have to learn to be with with pain with the uncomfortable with the unpleasant then you make it more a meditation practice um, sati sampajano practice let's forget the word meditation uh, because we always think meditation is totally focused on an object sitting serene, calm, everybody's healthy and well no backs hurt, no knees hurt when we meditate um, we're all bright, keen, bright, happy clear minded, nobody's sick well that's, that's fantasy land <laughs> you know, everybody Got some pain and sickness, so and then it's you, you know that's that's the, that's what it is. that's where we are. Uh, so you you certainly don't learn uncontrollable, and then, but then you also learn how maybe you know how to how to adapt within discomfort. And this can be just just. You know, just softening your attitudes around the pain, the feeling of making an antagonism, antagonistic, you know, patient, and expanding your attention from a painful area to, to the non-painful area. Uh, and relaxing one's attitudes, to, and then breathing, relaxed attitude through the whole body. And also finding the measure of of how long you want to sit. If it's sitting still, is uncomfortable. It generally, sooner or later, it is. Bodies really were not designed to sit still for long. They're basically movers. So maybe it's okay, we're just doing 20 minutes, then I'll stand up. Why make this an obstacle course? I feel ashamed that I can't sit for an hour. What kind of why why make why make that, you know? I can only meditate if I can sit still for an hour or two hours or you know, then no, I, I never said that. The whole point of having the four postures is to recognise this is not just sitting only. Uh, 
stand, and then stretch, and gently, kindly, not frantically, walk, flex, stretch, you know. And so you're finding a way in which you, you no longer feel so kind of trapped by it, or obliged to just kind of grit your teeth and bear it. Uh, that, that's just that helps to mean, okay, I, let's do it again. Let's sit and just get rid now. I'm more choosing now to go into that area and contemplate pain as heat, as fire. Visualize it as lines of fire burning or as, you know, you visualize it. Visualizing it helps because once you use a vision, the visual doesn't feel, you see, it's the tactile that feels. So it's kind of, you know, means if we see or if we visualize what the pain reminds us of, you know, say something, uh, like often it seems burning, and then you just focus on the, the, the image, the burning image, it just somehow just gets just a tiny little bit of shifting away from the, the tactile impression by bringing the visual visualization into mind. And then when you do visualization, that's one of the advantages of it. You can visualize, you know, that and you can visualize water flowing over it. You know, or you can visualize Buddha's blessing it or something, you know, whatever is the sympathetic response to that. So, okay, let's just do this for, I don't know, 10 minutes or not even a clock time. Just do this for a period of time whereby, you know, I make a reasonable sense of I'm approaching this thing from a different area, angle. And then when I feel, okay, that's my limit, then I change my position or stand up or move around or something. So, you see, because we can be with this for a lifetime, <laughs> into this materiality is is uncomfortable for a lifetime. Okay. Uh, because you know, go on about that because everybody is is uncomfortable and physically uncomfortable. It's, it is one of the big big things for retreats. You know, particularly oh God. <laughs> You know, waiting for the bell or something. <laughs> and somebody's droning on about bliss and <laughs> squirming in pain. <laughs> so it really is all right when you're sitting, just eating, stretch a little bit, you know, stretch your spine, just, just shift the energies in your body. It's because when you sit, the, the energy co- weight goes down and presses. Yeah. So shifting your body a little bit, stretching a little bit, that's fine. Now, if it's if it becomes possible, if you can focus on on the fight on the energy body, it's, it's that's why I recommend it because it does mean you can tuck yourself away slightly from the edge of the tactile. Yeah. You know. So as I was saying, when I was having this uh, surgery, I just focused on the person's kind of sticking things into the arm and pressure and stuff going on. And I just focus on the soles of the feet, 
crown of the head, energy flow from it's through there, somewhere out there to somebody banging this thing around. <laughs> Just focus on this. <laughs> you know, so then it's there, but you know, it's around me, but I'm not. I'm not in it. I've got a little snuggling away into a little safe place within this kind of pain bag. <laughs> So that's just some some tips. Now, say if you've got like sciatic or you've got pain somewhere, you generally find there's the really hot, strong part of the pain right there, and you trace it. There's where it's subdued; it's not that so painful, and then there's where it tails off. So you get to where it tails off, just the edges of it, and then beyond that, well, not pain. That's good. There's the knot pain, there's where it begins, that beginning throb or, or pulse. You try to focus just towards the, those edges where it's not so intense. And maybe there you can feel your mind is kind of cramping up or your body is tightening. Is it possible there just to open? So you're letting, trying to let the energy travel, you know. Feeling is, is energy. So if it's possible to open the edges of the, the painful area, it's possible that that can, sub, can subdue the intensity of it. doesn't mean it's not there, just it's no longer really incisive. Yeah. It subdues the intensity of it. Yesterday... I mentioned the sankharas getting less and less as we cultivate wholesome deeds. That's what we hope for, for unwholesome. What about wholesome? Once we purified the citta, what is left? Just pure awareness, consciousness. Okay, there are unwholesome sankharas, there are wholesome sankharas. So yesterday uh, I was talking about these... um, Formations, chitta-sankharas, formations that arise uh, from uh, ignorance, just the sudden impulse, um, and uh, uh, lead to unwholesome or unskillful or unhelpful results, these reflexes. The sankhara, in the broadest aspect, when we think of the five aggregates, yeah. So you got rupa, form, consciousness, knowingness. Uh, in between that, you got whenever there's consciousness, <coughs> there's feeling, some sense of contact, oh. and perception. And that's usually like the basis. You say it says you can't just have consciousness without perception and feeling. However, sort of subtle that is. But Sankara kind of stands slightly separate from that. Sankara is that do it form. So if you notice how uh, perception, we just suddenly get it. Oh, that's that. That's the kind of global sense. Oh, I get it. That's that. There's the sky. It's four o'clock. You get it. You know, it's, it's kind of 
global in ways it's not a particular point, it's just land, it's, we receive it, perception. And it's like, uh huh. And feeling, same thing, feeling, and then, oh, perception. Now Sankara says, okay, let's go this way. Right. Sankara says, look at that. That's the point. Yeah. So Sankara shapes. Yeah. Yes, you know. Okay. Perception, oh, we're in this town. And then, look, there's the street, go there. There's the stairs. There's Sankara, attention. This is Sankara. So attention doesn't mean just being alert, it means forming a focus. Right? So first we receive something, we form a focus. Aha, uh-huh, that's that. And now intention, let's go this way. Right? That, that's Sankara, those two. And of course it begins with contact, it means something lights up. Got it? That means do it. Got it. So this can be through any, any basis. You know, mind is like this and then flash, something flashes in and, all oh, right, that reminds me. Ding, attention, intention. It's Thursday, da 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 da, do this. Sankara. Though you see that's neutral, in it, it just, it's just the mechanism. Right, it's just the mechanism, that's the way the candors operate. There's nothing good or bad about it. Just the way it operates. Now, but we can recognize, you know, the, when the tint comes in, the tinting, the flavoring, the coloring of, oh, that's desirable. I want one of those. And Sankara's got a certain flavoring, and the flavoring comes with the perception. Right? So, I see something, that's nice. Oh, I'd like, and then, Contact, ding, oh, that looks tasty to me, and then want one. <laughs> you see, so then what comes up is, you know, the, the, the flavoring that comes with the perception triggers uh, a sankara associated with acquisition. Yeah. Now, it might also, you know, have that same thing and something, well, that dog, oh, it's whining. Oh, let's help it. Skillful sankara, right? Compassionate. We notice something. That creature doing that means it's suffering. That's the perception. The dog is whining, shivering. It's not happy. That's the meaning. That's the perception. We get it. And then, oh, it could be our stupid dog or bad karma. <laughs> you know, must have been something else in the previous life. Or it could be oh, compassion. Yeah, so obvious, we call it a skillful sankara. Yeah. So that, these are then the, so these are very simple examples. So it's the flavoring that comes with the perception. Now, where does perception acquire these flavorings? Why do we see things as attractive or desirable or worthy of, of our compassion or not? Perception gets acquired. Perception gets learnt. Perception gets learned. The learning process is sankara. <laughs> yeah. So we notice cause and effect, meaning, and then 
This means that's that, that's uh, creature needs some help. So you know, then you get so that we so that that process of learning shapes the perception. We notice that that kind of brown color on that cake means chocolate, and that means get it because that's what you know. So we've learned that we've learned it's attractive, and so this process goes on. I remember seeing this little girl. She was about only about three, and she had a little pet rabbit, and she was living in this house, and she just opened the window and dropped the rabbit out of the window. Didn't realize the rabbit would. It didn't mean harm, but she she hadn't learned what what you know. The the rabbit was just a toy. (laughs) She didn't really. So was that skillful? She was ignorant. Uh, But then you know, you probably learned. She probably experienced some considerable sorrow uh, from that. So that learning process, uh, this means that then skillful, unskillful sankharas arise from what we've learned. Now, this is where the whole thing gets kind of more, take it to another level, yeah. Because uh, the, the, uh, uh, what we haven't learned, and nobody's learned, is Nibbana. Nobody told us that, or they did tell us that we didn't understand it, or if we didn't understand it, we didn't know how to go there. <laughs> yeah. So you think, what does it, does it feel like? Is it nice? Is it good? Well, they said, it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. Well, want one. No, wanting it doesn't do it. <laughs> it can be helpful, but what does it? It does, it's st- the stilling of sankharas. Yeah, this, is, this is sublime, this is peaceful, the stilling. And the sankharas, instead of forming anything, or aiming anywhere, or directing anything, just that energy to learn, to have, to form, to subside. Stilling of sankharas. The relinquishment of old habits, of of acquisitions, begin to relinquish our ideas about ourselves, the world, everything. The relinquishment, dispassion, detachment, destruction of craving. Because all sankharas, as long as they're acting, they're always in the what we call the realm of becoming. The realm of becoming, the domain of becoming. That is, I am this, I will go to that. Yeah. This is this state, I'll go to that state. Um, yeah. it's, it's moving towards becoming. All shankaras become something. That is, it was one thing that shaped something else. Yeah, and uh, we—that's kind of our life, you know. I'm going from here to there. Uh, you know, I'm doing something so that I will be. Uh, going downstairs to get my dinner. I'm hungry. I want to become unhungry. <laughs> uh, that we think that that so that that's the realm of becoming. All sankharas are in that, and the Buddha said, "This is the end of becoming. Nibbana is the end of becoming. No future. The end of becoming. I mean, sankharas. We could say very simply, here and now. 
Yeah. So, you know, this, perhaps this is rather theoretical, but um, just getting familiar with some of these phrases and concepts that you'll hear being mentioned time and time again and trying to what they mean and what does it mean the end of becoming uh, Nibbana what could that instilling of Sankara's peace no future no rebirth uh, peace Santi release leave you with that so I mentioned yesterday that meditation can cause someone to go crazy how do you prevent this from happening well uh, I think I mentioned yesterday establish the four satipatthana particularly the body so the chitta is properly contained and held within, the, within this embodied experience because as a chitta is, as I said is, attr- is attracted to energy wherever energy goes chitta will go and so and some energies are crazy uh, you see when People, a mob starts erupting, people go crazy. It's extremely contagious. Everybody starts, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. And that's, that isn't considered insane. That's just a bit, you know, enraged. But, you know, the people can go, go really lose their sanity through uh, unusual psycho- psychic energy. And this is maybe associated with various, what they call sanya vipalasa, distorted perception. So I'm getting this kind of luminous, radiant sense, I must be enlightened now. I, I am the one, the enlightened, is, you know, there's no self anywhere. You know. So I remember one teacher, he was teaching a kind of anatta, not self, and then somebody walked out of a window, <laughs> just walked straight off the crashed to take him off to hospital because if there's no self <laughs> nothing's bothered you you know uh, and clearly the teacher didn't mean that at all never instructed it but um, you know people people lose it and certainly you know, I remember someone when I was in the in the monastery Chitta's monastery somebody had this kind of strong experience and tangling with the hosts of Mara tangling with the hosts of Mara and he was walking in the monastery he went to the reception room where all the photographs of these teachers were on the wall and it was, it was, the light was flashing or well, it was night time's light so he saw the light playing on the photographs and he thought they're all, this is the host of Mara laughing at me so he ripped all the photographs up and so he thinks so yeah, this isn't totally crazy, but it's a bit crazy. <laughs> uh, and it get, can get worse than that. Where you get these uh, sometimes extremely luminous, convincing uh, experiences in your chitta that are paranormal. Because they're paranormal, we think this must be you know, cosmic wisdom or something, because it's paranormal. 
yeah, and it can be associated with heightened kind of you're not don't feel in your body, you feel out of your body. That's a very sign, or you feel that there's a kind of elated state or an excited state. You're not feeling your body, and maybe you get voices in your head telling you this, that, and the other, and it's all very strong and convincing, and it just <coughs> pulls your chitta, and then you have to go to a hospital <laughs> or something like that. And sometimes it's because when we press the chitta, we've got this idea we want to get into some special state. So we sort of press the chitta, get into some special heightened state, pushing it and getting fascinated by its subtle phenomena. Uh, then you do, you push it into a, some abnormal state where then you flip out. <laughs> so you don't push the chitta. Uh, you know, and you're mostly concerned with holding it and restraining it and steadying it and perhaps a little bit encouraging it you know, and so holding it steady. And you keep within these satipatthana. So you've always got some the wisdom faculty supervising what's going on where does this come from? Are you mindful of this? Can you observe it arise and pass? Or you don't don't you just don't follow things? And even subtle psychological psychic phenomena, you don't follow them because they can occur. And certainly, you know, some of these are, are actually some of them very are beautiful. But the recommendation is don't you don't need that. Don't follow it unless you really, really know what you're doing. Uh, most people just get uh, starry-eyed about it, you know, those who experience it. So, yeah. Could I explain the term sati and sampajana again? <laughs> well, sati, we have Sati is the ability to um, bear something in mind. That's one one characteristic. It means you st you stay with something. You know, your attention is held steady. So attention, your attention is held steady, and it could be on anything. It could be on the sensation in the foot, or it could be on uh, joyful experience. So you you know, like the presence of a Buddha or a, a mantra, you could hold that, bear that in mind, or, or a love, act of loving kindness, you could have sati on that, you could bear that in mind, stay with it. Um, but it's further in that, um, then you have what's called wrong sati, mitya sati, and sama sati. Mitya sati is you bear the wrong things in mind, you stay with the wrong things. You stay with obsessive thoughts, or you stay with um, uh, unbalanced emotions, or you know, you, you, or you brood, obsess. Um, so samasati is based upon right view and um, uh, right virtue. Yeah. And as I said earlier, when the, the Buddha's explanation is when your virtue is pure. Okay, you know, okay, let's not claim utter spotlessness, but okay, for this 
period, we've got eight precepts, we're staying within that, could have a few difficult thoughts, but essentially behaviors clear and we understand, we've got that sense of integrity. Um, yeah. So your virtue is pure and um, your views are straight. Your views essentially um, cause and effect. Everything we do comes from a cause, gives rise to an effect. So everything that happens, every thought, every emotion, everything that arises comes from a cause. It's not myself. It's a, it's a condition that arises and it can give rise to effect if followed. That's karma. This means both be careful but also be responsible. Also, you have a chance to pick up the right ones and follow them. Right? So the skillful results. So this is right view. Now when those two faculties are in line, then we've got a very good basis to have a sense of what will we bear in mind, what we stay with. So what's called yoniso manisikara, which means careful attention. You look around and, or you review and this is this. I'm approaching this with a mind based on harmlessness, on loving kindness, on aim for relinquishment and purification. That's my intention. So place it on that. You know, this body, this breathing, you know, and then uh, placing it with a sense of whatever arises within this. Uh, 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 you know, sustaining and the right intention. Uh, now, now that's, so sati is both bearing in mind but also receiving with a sense of clarity. Samasati, we could definitely, we're not, you know, whatever arises, passes, but some things you give attention to and some things just don't bother with that. But this one will, will stay with this stream of input is skillful. And then that's going to lead to strengthening composure and samadhi. Sati. Now, what helps with, with well, um, so that, well, that's there, then we, this other factor called sampajana, uh, both keeps moderating, you know, what, what we're mindful of, because you know, we're getting moving around, as I said, the four establishments, so sampajana's noticing, hey look, you've been with that pain for the last half an hour, you're really getting very uncomfortable, I think you're getting strained, let's take a, let's take a break now. You know? So you see, you're, you're looking at the broad picture of, of the results of what's happening. Right? So you're bearing something in mind, sampajana is aware of the causes, the results of what's happening. Yeah. And or it looks like your sati is getting lost here, losing some of that strength. So let's change to another object or another mode of meditation where you can rebuild it. This, your, you know, your sati is getting, you know, wearing out <laughs> on that one. Yeah. And then, and then this is the approach. So then, when we are using this teaching for our kind of daily life uh, support. 
you realize you can't stay focused on your, your breathing as the only object to be mindful of because you're going to walk under a bus if you do. <laughs> you know, you've got to, so this sense of gochara, which means what's the right domain? So we're walking down the street, okay, it's a street, there's cars, there's traffic, there's people, there's shops. What do I need to have my sati on? Well, let's get it into this walking body. That's a good foundation. Yeah, okay. Um, at the same time, sense of openness, see what's going on. So I'm open to that. So the sampajana then helps to give your sati, you know, a proper uh, basis uh, uh, for, and then gochara means also just be aware of the peripheries. Uh, purpose, you know, so sampajana purpose, which means why am I walking down the street? You know, I want to get home. So it means you don't have to go into the restaurant or cinema or something unless you, it's really necessary. So you keep on track with what you want to do. Why do you want to go home? Because it's participating in a retreat and the theme is let's just keep it restrained at this time. Go shopping another day. Mainly just sustain that till I get to my home, my hotel room or whatever it is so I can continue. So purpose. There's a purpose in, in this particular pursuit. Yeah. So that's another element. It helps to keep your sati on track when conditions and circumstances are changing. Um, sapaya, which means it's, it's, it's suitable. So, you know, we are not uh, uh, focusing on a refined point when we need to be more open. We're not focusing on open space when we need to be more precise. What's suitable? Also, what's a suitable in terms of an object at any particular time and in terms of your effort? Yeah. So suitable effort, not straining, but not slacking. So that can moderate in terms of how much vitality you have. So if you're Sampajano, then you're aware of the vitality of only this much, not very much vitality. I can, I can do this. I can't do more than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know your range. You know, I'm only this wise. <laughs> <laughs> at this moment, uh, I definitely have limitations on how much I can bear of that. So, this is as much as it, so you operate within your parameters wisely. And a moha, non delusion, which means whatever arises internally, externally, is impermanent, unsatisfactory, does not contribute. To a sense of self, you cannot build up a sense of a permanent self. It's all just uh, so we're not trying to become someone in the world. Yeah, and that, that's really helpful because, by and large, again, worldly dumbers they try to make you become something. I become popular, famous beautiful, attractive, interesting, charismatic, brilliant, <laughs> successful. 
That's all just decoys. <laughs> because what you want to release is what we're looking for. And just good enough. I just want to be good enough. <laughs> okay. Okay, someone how to support a fortunate rebirth for their pet chicken. I think the thing to do is find a wise chicken and get your pet chicken to listen to the wise chicken. <laughs> but chickens aren't, aren't that smart generally. <laughs> but you never know. And I guess if you can say, well, uh, you know, it could be quite a long way, quite a long path for that chicken. <laughs> But at least if we uh, treat the creature with respect, goodwill, so it's not saturated with fear. <laughs> and if you saturate a creature with fear, it can't have a pleasant rebirth, can it? And we saturate a chicken with fear by threatening it, trying to kill it. <laughs> so animals are often, already animals have a lot of fear. It's a very fearful Every day an animal realizes something can eat it. And generally we eat them all. Yeah. Anything, anytime, any day, whenever we want. So animals are soaked in fear. If we can in some ways, you know, release the animal from fear, we do ourselves some good, we do the creature some good. Uh, that will at least mean it's, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it can be more fortunate than if it was died in terror uh, and deprivation. So let's, uh, I'll conclude this uh, Q&A session.